0: Hi, and welcome to End All Shall Be Well. I'm Megan Rohr, and I am your host. Welcome to this third part of my conversation with Cynthia. But don't worry, if you haven't heard the other two, it's okay because in this part of the conversation, Cynthia actually turns the tables and asks me questions about how I stay well and how I have uh, managed to kind of pursue wellness in the midst of a lot of careers that are tackling tough things. And uh, I think you'll appreciate the conversation. It's the kind of conversation that people who do long-term jobs that are, are on the hard pile, things that aren't easily solvable, it's the kind of conversations we have amongst ourselves. And so if you've ever wondered how do people doing tough jobs speak when no one's looking, uh, I think you'll see a glimpse of our conversation and I hope it inspires you to seek wellness where you can, as often as you can, in as many ways as you can.
1: My name is Cynthia Nagendra. Also it's pronounced Nagendra, but I have been using both lately. But my name is Cynthia Nagendra slash Nagendra and I use she, her pronouns and I am talking from San Francisco. I am a cisgender woman who is the daughter of immigrants, of Sri Lankan immigrants. The way I describe myself is just in general, I work in homelessness and housing justice. That's the field that I've been working in for most of my life, almost more than 15 something, 15 to 20 years. I grew up in a a Hindu household. Immigrants whose worldview is, I would say, utterly different from the dominant world view of the mainstream culture of the United States. I'm a dark-skinned woman. I think that, that is something that I have thought about more as a salient part of my experience because we do have a, a, a colorist world that we live in. I would describe myself as, as straight and as also as someone who is, doesn't really conform to the model of the kind of typical South Asian American, not that there is one typical South Asian American, but there is a sort of construct of a model minority that I don't feel particularly aligned to, even in my own cultural. I'm second generation, my parents came over here in one of the early waves um, of South Asian immigration back in the 70s, and that has more to do with the post-colonial conflict in Sri Lanka than anything else. I wanted to just, if I could ask you a question, like you're preparing to do something pretty difficult. You're about to go on a trip that is gonna, I think be just emotionally really take a toll. How do you prepare for something like that? And how do you, like, how do you figure out things when you get back? Like, What do you do with that experience? I'm
0: overly trained in trauma care. And so I know some of my stuff, I know like until when my heartbeat changes, I I know different Navy seal breathing techniques for when your body is overwhelmed and checking out to like, stay present and not pass out, I guess. That's the highest level of doing a stressful, hard thing. But I, just, I try to start my wellness care stuff early, right? So if I know I'm gonna travel somewhere and listen to something hard, I might do something extra sparkly before and after. So if you see me hanging out in Paris doing like at the Moulin Rouge or something, just know, I'm trying to have good memories that get implanted into spaces. Mm-hmm. Some of the other tricks that I do is I have certain outfits I only wear when I'm going to do hard things. And mm-hmm. then when I go home, I take that outfit off and it gets hung in the closet. So my body knows like, I'm going to do a hard thing. This is my uniform for that. Mm-hmm. And I learned that from being with different jobs where they put on a first responder uniform or they put, they have an outfit they wear for that tragedy. And sometimes that I will take parts of that outfit and put good memories in it first. Like I once went uh, to Alaska and I took the pants that I was going to have to take on trauma calls with me. And I like did a bunch of watch the Northern lights. And I'm like, so then in the midst of a difficult something, I can be like, Oh, these are my Northern lights pants or whatever. And I think it's also like what, Mm foods can I eat in different levels of stress? When I am my most stressed out, there are liquid meals I can have that will make sure I have the minimum number of protein and stuff you have to not get sick. And then when I'm, as I'm working my way out of that level of stress, I can sort of escalate to different like foods that are going to give my body the nutrients it needs, but also is going to like give me some self-care. There are certain Beverages I can get from whatever chain store. Like, I've had to figure it out. Like, what's a space where I could get a drink I love that's going to make me feel better in the midst of a hard thing that is going to be in enough places that you can then have access to it? Like, but then I've also got like tiny little things. Like, I love a felt tip pen. And if if the emotionally hard thing I'm going to do is mostly paperwork, because when you work with homelessness, sometimes Mm -hmm. the emotionally hard thing you're going to do is a lot of paperwork, I'll be like, this is shitty. But I got a felt tip pen, and I used to say that enough that I currently, in my house, have had so many felt tip pens melt to, mailed to me when people believe I'm going through something hard. But I'm good on the felt tip pens. <laughs> I should use other examples so that so you can get more stuff. What was
1: that? so you can get more stuff from people.
0: Yeah, that's part of it, and then also like, I get enough people who provide me with feedback that like what I did, mattered. Like, you going to listen to that person mattered. I find that like going to listen to big, hard things prepares me for the next hard thing I'm going to do. And so sometimes that means that I will have traveled to like, feeling like I went to Sri Lanka so we could talk about it or like just taking little moments like that. I intentionally have tried to travel to places, not because I'm learning everything about a culture. But because I can relate to someone in a hard moment by talking about, like, I had this meal once and it was really good. Oh, you like the meal that makes me feel at home. But I It has gotten me through a lot of really difficult trauma-filled listening sessions to be able to say, like, oh, yes, I've been there. And especially when I have a ridiculous experience and they're like, oh, I will take you there sometime. And, like, and then that person feels a bit empowered. And so it's, I feel like it's a combination of like, doing a lot of self-care things regularly and then just being okay with the fact that if someone's gonna be in tears because someone just died because they got the phone call while they're on the BART, I'm totally gonna be sitting in the chair next to them. And so it feels like over the years I've put in my time, you have to do 10,000 hours to be good at something, that I've been to enough hard stuff now that I trust myself to be able to like sit in silence when there are no words and to receive stories... And the other thing, because I'm on social media, a lot people sometimes think that I'm posting in real time what Mm -hmm. is happening, which sometimes I am and sometimes I'm not. But when it's a really big, hard thing, I might not talk about it with other people for a couple of years, right? Mm -hmm. Or I might participate in a ritual where other people are talking and I'm just holding the space, but really I'm regurgitating what's going on. And I don't typically talk out loud in like a recorded forum or like putting it out on social media, how I genuinely feel until I've like worked through it enough that I feel like I can truly like amplify stories rather than just what's going on inside of me. But that takes years. I hope people don't have to go to enough trauma call outs that they know what food they need to eat until they can eat again. But you might as well learn that if that is going to be your job. And so I, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but it's different things, different times. Sometimes it's just like not getting sick at the same time as everyone else because I knew what vitamin C to take or whatever. And not that you can prevent every illness, but like it's sometimes it's just like doing the pre-work, doing whatever pre-work you can do so that when the really hard shit hits the fan, you're more ready than you would have been if you didn't.
1: I think that's so incredibly helpful thinking about this pre-work. I think yeah. my my uh, my mom is fell over the holidays, and I've been uh, switching to being a caregiver for her, and we'll be doing that more full time. And I, what everyone says is so true about just the emotional toll it takes seeing your parents suffer, also not being able to like kind of mitigate their pain. But also, there's something satisfying about being able to like privilege and honor to be able to take care of my mother, that I have a mother, and giving her back something, even if it's like not very effective. <laughs> but that like, the feeling of like how I think for me the Thing I'm just very recent in the last couple of years have started to think about is like that I do have control about how things stay in my body or not. I didn't think I had control over that. I just thought I feel everyone's emotions and I feel my own and that's just how it is. And I didn't realize like there might be some ways I can mitigate that or screen door that a little bit. Like everything doesn't have to come in, everything, things can also go out. And I don't know if I figured out quite how to to do that, but like. The thing that those first years at St. Anthony's when I would do people's intakes every day and I was like holding back tears every day, hearing their people's pain is so moving. And also just, it's like, how do I, what do I do with all that sadness? And I'm trying to figure out how I can be sad, but not let it like like, eat at my own (laughs) insides. So that is challenging, but like the idea of doing pre-work and all of these different ways of associating that like there's a before and an after that there's positive ways to associate even painful experiences. I think that is so helpful.
0: I also like do a lot of art projects because a lot of what I'm carrying and I think a lot of the work that you do is confidential. I heard a lot of hard stuff that is confidential. I can't share the story, but I got to get it out. And so sometimes I'll do that through art and sometimes through mediums I'm good at, and sometimes where it's just like crappy art and then you throw it away later, having <laughs> kids is helpful for that, cause they don't care. But like, so I think like the, whether it's like poetry or music or gardening or sculpt, like any of those things, just trying to get it out somehow is a way that you can do that. One of the things that I've been doing is this might be illegal, but it feels like a thing that if it's illegal I'm okay with that is. When I was in, when I was in Uruguay, I saw that like when there are holes in the sidewalk, they will patch them with tiles and then make mosaics in the spot. Like, so the whole sidewalk will be cobblestone except for one is missing and they don't have the replacement. So they just make it like purple, beautiful tiles. Right. And, and I was noticing as I work in the Tenderloin, the sadness that is everywhere. And also that like, there are very few like beautiful things out in the world. There are murals that are very up high so that you can't like spray paint over them, but there's not a lot of like grass. Yeah, there's not a lot of like, people don't leave stuff on that. You can touch it area. Cause they're afraid it will be stolen or graffitied or feces on it. And so I just was like, I'm just going to start on certain days when I find a pothole on a sidewalk it with mosaics
1: oh it's such a great idea that's beautiful and making
0: just these little patterns that sort of look like flowers and filling it in i haven't found the perfect combination of what concrete can withstand people who pick things out of the sidewalk when they're looking for substances and in, in certain addiction states but mm-hmm. it's like i don't care if this is it's still better than the hole that was there before sort All of right. with this idea okay, that's, that sounds so yeah. satisfying Let's go make some, we'll go make some flower mosaics in the tenderloin. Cause for me, it's the purpose is that all people deserve beauty, no matter what, where they are in life and that the sidewalks are this space that people live. And it feels like a sense of shame for themselves. And so what if there were, you can't like grow a flower there because people are walking on the sidewalk. And so I love this idea of like, we're going to plant flowers of beauty, but like in the spaces that are broken. There's so many different cultures that all of those ideas track and borrow from, but it's, I'm certainly not the first person who's ever tried to fill potholes with mosaics because I like YouTube'd it to try to get hints about what concrete works the best in there. But yeah, so we'll just have a a brigade of people who do hard jobs, who love the tenderloin and want to just try some stuff. And so that's my, just keep trying stuff. And whenever I've worked in jobs that have no completion, like, Yes, we're going to fix homelessness in San Francisco because the, the only thing needed is housing like that. It's that simple, but it becomes more complicated because people want it to be more complicated. And um, in those hard jobs, like, I find that I personally, for my wellness, need some things that are tangibly completable. Oh, yeah. I like washing the dishes. I It's done because so many of the different ways that we're in the world, uh, you can't just like a checklist of like what's done. Like feeding the homeless, they're hungry again at the next meal time. And complete it, even though you completed it. And so it's like so I try to find little things that that are like that, like building a shelf or like just like little projects where you're like, I did it.
1: I totally get that. My my I I just hired a a number of new staff, eight, nine, ten people, and. Various age ranges, but more in the like generation below me or two. And I think I started off when, like, on the first day, saying, "There's, a, you're gonna, your, your calendars are gonna be filled up with meetings and projects, and all of these things are gonna just fill your days." But for the first few months, or at least build in some time to to spend time with each other, to spend time with the providers, to spend time with people experiencing homelessness, and really, if it's going to feel like you're gonna think about impact in a different way. I've had to start thinking about impact in a different way. Are we gonna end homelessness in the next six months or the next five years? I don't know. I would like I mean, we've gotta keep trying, but that that's gonna be the goal, but it doesn't mean that everything we do short of that is not impact. Being good to each other, and becoming be friends with each other care about each other like, you might not work together forever but like over time you're going to see each other in different spaces and you're going to be so glad to each other and that's what's carried me through the last 15 20 years is like people i worked with even 20 years ago and even when i worked at the town people from saint anthony's from 15 years ago remember my name and that's like, it's, it's, it feels like a real honor that people would remember and also that like, i feel like it makes an impact i might have said hi to a person one time someone came up to me i was in the bayview navigation center i think Someone came up to me and was like, "Cynthia, a person was a client of mine. I think 15 years ago, and just like had all, all this information that they remembered. And I was just like blown away. I didn't, it definitely didn't do very much in that situation uh, to help that person, but they just remembered whatever the interaction was, and just it, rem- it reminded me like these the interactions really matter. People often say like, should I do when a person experiencing homelessness talks to me? I'm like, look them in the eye, ask them what their name is, even if you don't have anything for." them to give them just like people someone once told me like we'll just look past me it's i'm not a human and that is the most that has got to be the most horrible horrible experience over time you don't think of yourself as a person the more you're not going to treat yourself like a person and i just think like that those small things make a difference and like the thing around like seeing things that are beautiful around you like it makes someone as a provider i don't want to there's a provider in the bayview who takes care of young people and they often try to really beautify their buildings, flowers, nice murals, because the kids they listening to the youth were saying what makes me feel okay. I'm in a safe neighborhood is when there's flowers and trees around. And that really stayed with her, this executive director, and really stayed and what a simple thing to say. And but it's true. I look around my neighborhood, it's beautiful, there's lots of trees. It's not like that in some of our other neighborhoods. And of course it because it makes you feel like the people in that community care about the place that they live and the people that live there. It's so simple. And it's, a yes, homelessness, I work in this because people, the people who work in it are mostly wonderful and do everything they can, even small things to make people's lives better. And homelessness is a solvable problem. A hundred percent believe that. And because there's, you can do little things, I think. And I try I don't know if I'm trying to be like Pollyanna about it now, or if I'm naive or I'm just trying to tell myself to feel better. But I think those things, we have to look at, these things in smaller increments.
0: Yeah, I took my kids out. My kids were adopted when they were three and four from the foster care system. And and from our data brains, we know like a 90% chance of being homeless because people who are in the foster care system, just extraordinarily high rates of ending up with homelessness at some point in their future. And so we talk about it openly. We talk about what are the ways you can go to college in the future? What are the types of crimes that mean you probably are going to get all funding taken away? Let's just be real. Like, cause everybody's going to make mistakes in, in, in their life, but what are the ones that are going to have different kinds of consequences? And we went out this past week, we made like 150 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, which we do on a regular basis, whenever we want to honor Baird Rustin and all he did. And so we made 150 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We went to a couple of different parts of town. And the kids handed out homeless peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And I know people out there, you worry, small children and the homeless, what you haven't seen is a small child offering a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to a homeless person, which every homeless person, even if they don't want the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, is just like, oh, like in the same way, everyone is like when a kid offers them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And so it's, it's, a, and I'm with them. I have a lot of experience and, and they're safe. Uh, so there so we went out to a couple of different places some of them maybe neighborhoods where they just would be like would you like peanut butter and jelly and they're handing it out and then afterwards we got to have a conversation about like what is homelessness like what about homelessness would be a solution to problems like i don't want to have to do my homework no one can tell you to do your homework right what about homelessness would be really hard and you would miss and then what how would you want to be treated if you were on the streets right because preparing them for whatever circumstances might come in their future I'm going to be someone who's like you live in my house you'd be homeless but like worlds take a lot of different divergence as people get older but then just talking really openly like why is this why is it that so many foster kids end up in a space like this and what how do you how would you want it to be different but to really take that fearful statistic of this could be you someday and make it people with agency. Like I'm a person who's living indoors right now. I can make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and I can hand them out to people. And those people might be like me. It, for me, is it just, it's what you were speaking about with community perspectives and treating everyone like they're wonderful. And, and so is that going to solve every difficulty in that homeless person's lives? Who knows what a peanut butter and jelly sandwich might do, but like, but it is an encounter that we can have as human beings caring for each other in a new way that changes the conversation. Like every single person who hated a homeless policy in San Francisco had to go with a little kid and hand out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. It might shift some of the conversations to just have more opportunities to see people in the full spectrum of their, that was a little kid at some point.
1: Mm Mm-hmm right and agency i think maybe that's something i that sense of agency that's what makes me feel like i have to if i continue to, see to feel, if i continue to feel like i have some agency even if it's being nice to a neighbor that maybe isn't that nice to me or something like that like that or if they are nice to me whatever it does not like just having some agency it's when you feel helpless that you start to feel hopeless and like when people have lost hope then you need to have hope for them and that, I mean, I think agency is something that is for me. I think I haven't zeroed in on it, but that is a, an important part of feeling like, yeah, these problems are enormous. They're comp. they homelessness is simple: give people housing and help them stay there. But obviously, it's in a very complex society that makes that difficult. Concept is easy, application difficult. And so, when we're talking about economic disparity, you can get disillusioned. <laughs> And feel like what can I do? But, but agency, keeping that sense of agency, I feel like is is so central to to feeling better and feeling well.
0: I appreciate you. I hope that uh, you have tiny little wins that feel real, and sus- and you hold on to much deeper than the nicks and the cracks and the tiny little losses that that break into the world. Because I I just think the embodied learnings that you have just from how close true colonialism has been in your family's line and from the ways I think that that your religious background make you more open to diversity and complexity, I think it is such a real gift to the world. So thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me here today and letting me talk so much. And there's, I'll, I'll just say one last story that Think, thinking about the colonial aspect of my family's history my parents were born as colonial subjects to the British kingdom and or British empire and we go to this restaurant in in Staten Island I was home over the break and there's a restaurant we love going to a Sri Lankan restaurant and it's owned by a single family and that's the family that literally some of our family members have there was riots in the 80s and 90s that like where my family members lost everything. Their house was burned down and it was perpetuated by the other ethnic group. And all of these things have happened where they never got their lives back, where they suffered a lot at the hands of this, this idea that it's this other ethnic group. And we were sitting in this restaurant, it's by a single family. And my husband asked, like, and he was just like, Oh, wait, this is a single restaurant. And he was thinking, Well, wait a second. Like and we were like, Yeah, we don't even think about it because we interact with single people and single families and businesses all the time. We never think this is another, this is, we we can't go in here, this is another, and I asked my family about it, and they were like, well, we're just people, like, they didn't, these aren't the people that, like, it's, it's not our fault, it's not their fault, it's just, like, government, and, and I was just, like, that is an incredibly, like, generous way, for for the family, too, they're not, like, camels get out, so that's just the way we interact on, on a pretty, I'm not saying everyone is like that, but I never even thought twice about it because it's always been that way in our communities. And so it's interesting that we don't carry that conflict on here. I don't know how that happens, but there's something about like, understanding each other as people and not the groups we belong to that I just, is very hard to do in America, but I think like, there's a lot of wisdom there. I my mean, family does plenty of mean things too. We're not like saints, <laughs> I'm not a saint.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to my conversations with Cynthia. If you enjoyed this one, there are a total of three of these conversations and you can check them out here or on any podcasting space or YouTube or Facebook or any of those places. If you appreciate conversations like these, I hope you will uh, consider liking, subscribing, leaving nice reviews and all of those things that people do when they appreciate content that, they're essentially consuming for free. If you'd like to kick in and help make sure that conversations like this can continue to happen in the future, I invite you to be a part of my Patreon team. And if you're not able, that's okay too, because honestly, it's a part of my wellness to continue to put out things that are supportive for people like you. I appreciate that you have checked in and I hope that you'll check
1: in again. Until then, take care,